good evening. Wasn't that awesome worship? Wow. It's like, I could go home right now. Just go home. I met with God. Um, yeah, the book of Galatians, uh, Paul's uh, letter to the Galatian church. and um, It's going to be exciting. We're going to go through uh, four chapters tonight. Not whole chapters, but uh, we'll look at a couple verses in uh, the first four chapters, and then our main focus will be on chapter five. So uh, let's pray before we get into the word, and uh, let's ask the Lord to continue his blessing upon tonight. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and just, uh, Lord, what what an awesome time has been thus far, Father, with the worship that, uh, Lord, just speaks of how great and how mighty you are, Lord, what you've done for us. Uh, what you've given to us, Father. Lord, we can't repay you, Father, but to sing and to praise your name, Lord, uh, is about all we can do, Father. And uh, We just give you thanks for this night, Lord. And as we enter now into the study of your word, Lord, that you would just uh, bless the lips, Father God, that uh, you have given me, Father, to proclaim your word, Lord. Uh, uh, give me a clarity of mind, Lord. Allow your spirit to speak through me, Father, to your people tonight, Father God, uh, that it would just be a, a, a time of uh, teaching by you and your spirit, Lord, to each one of them, Father, individually, Lord. We thank you for this night, Lord, and we ask these things in the power of your Son's name. Amen. So if you would turn to the book of Galatians with me, uh, chapter 1, uh, Paul's introduction there to the Galatians, we won't go through that, but we'll start in uh, verse 6 there, but let me give you a little bit of insight into uh, Galatia. Uh, it wasn't a very large town or large city. It was more of a rural type of city. It wasn't inside uh, a big city or uh, a big population. It was more on the outskirts of um, a rural area. So uh, when Paul decided to go on his missionary journey or was really called on his missionary journey, Galatia was one of the places that the Lord prompted him to stop at. Uh, and there he started the church uh, of Galatia. And in starting that, he established uh, each of the different uh, members, the teachers and uh, all the elders in the church uh, there in Galatia. And he chose men that were uh, going to be men to uh, keep his um, teaching going, men that were going to stay in the word and continue down the path that uh, Paul had brought them to. Uh, however, we're going to find uh, sometime later uh, that they didn't do that. They, they wandered away from that direct path that Paul was leading them down and left them in and left instruction to them. And so we're going to go see, we're going to see here through these uh, first four chapters uh, a few highlights of Paul's admonition to the book to the people of Galatia through this letter that he writes to them. Uh, so we start out in verse 6 here. Uh, Paul writes to them, he writes, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. So we see here Paul marvels. What is it to marvel? It's to be astonished. It's something that's not natural that Paul's saying, like scratching his head, like, how can this, I just left you guys. 
It, wasn't it just yesterday that I, was, that I saw you? No, it had been quite a few years since Paul had been back to the church, uh, but you know how time flies. You know how things were coming up on 10 years, right, in the church. And it just seems like a few years ago, 10 years. And so Paul is saying, so soon, guys, you have turned away from the path which was set before you. He says, you've turned away from a different, to a different gospel. You, you veered away from the gospel that is Jesus Christ, the gospel of truth. And you have gone down that path that is not of God. You've gone down that path that uh, is, is a perverted path. Um, now, when he says perverted here, it can be translated into distorted, uh, not correct. Something is, is not right. It's off uh, here. And so Paul's writing to them and saying uh, that, that what you're doing is not right. Uh, he, he's bringing this before uh, their church here as he writes the letter. Turn to chapter 3, and we will go through verse 1. He continues on in the letters, and he writes, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So Paul, again, admonishing them, says, O foolish Galatians, you know, to call someone foolish, that's pretty heavy. Uh, to, to, to actually call someone foolish. Um, he's not playing around here. He's very serious in this. Uh, meaning that they have gone after foolish things. They have turned aside from the faith. And I like here where it says, uh, in, in verse 1, it says, That you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ clearly uh, portrayed among you as crucified. So what Paul's saying there is, your, your own eyes, your very eyes saw Christ crucified. You were there. Some of you were, were in the midst of it. Some of you have heard it firsthand that Jesus Christ was crucified. And he says, and yet you've turned away from that. You've lost that. You've perverted that. You've added to that. Putting yourself back into the law. Uh, down in uh, verse 2, he, he, he proposes a question here. He says, This I only want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing of faith? So he proposes this question, and of course it's a rhetorical question, right? Because the answer is very obvious that they received uh, the salvation through their faith in Jesus Christ, through the crucifixion that Christ had gone through, and that was where their faith had come from. You know, uh, when he first started the church and they all came in, it was because they were lost. They realized that they could not do it on their own, that they were missing something. And that something that they were missing, they realized was the faith in Jesus Christ, that he was crucified on the cross, died, and three days later raised from the dead. And that is what they were missing. And they had it in the beginning. It was, it was in their hearts, and they believed it, but now they have veered away from that. And Paul poses that question um, just to spark in their mind, to cause them to remember. Um, remember, Paul is doing all this because he wants to draw them back in. He wants to, to, to bring them back to uh, the feet of Christ and, and remove the sin that is in the church. And so 
So when he says these things and calls them foolish uh, and poses these questions, it's because he wants them to think about the history, the, the, the um, first love that they had, that they have forgotten about. He wants them to bring them back into that, that first love that they had. He says, Oh foolish, have you begun in the spirit that you are now being made perfect by the flesh? So they realize that in the beginning, they were in the spirit, that they came to salvation through Christ crucified. And yet Paul here now is saying, you've forgotten that. Are you now being made perfect in the flesh? Meaning, are you now working for your salvation? Did you forget that salvation was the free gift of Christ? That, that no works, uh, whether you do them or don't do them, can bring you to Christ or, or steer you away from Christ? And so he's reminding the Galatians here that, that they've lost their first love. They've lost that first relationship that they've had with Christ. They've tried to add to it in order to, per, to perfect it. Uh, and we know that that does not work. Uh, continue on to chapter 4, verse 1. He continues and says, Now I say, the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave. Though he is master of all, but is still under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of this world. So Paul gives a little example here to the Galatians, uh, a little bit of reasoning. He, and he, he tells them about an heir to a kingdom, an heir to a great wealth of inheritance. And he says that, well, this heir is still young, well, it's still a child, uh, he doesn't have the power. He doesn't control the, the household. He doesn't control the kingdom. His father controls it while he is a child. And there's going to come a point where when he grows up, that'll be the time that now he is in control of it. Uh, he is no different, Paul says, than, than the guardians and the stewards of the, of the kingdom. Uh, he has no more power than they have. In fact, they are set over him to make sure he uh, is under control and, and not you know, getting lost or getting hurt in his life until he matures. And Paul goes on to say, even so, we were once children. We were in bondage under the elements of the world. So now Paul is saying that we, or the book of Galatia, the, the men and the women in the church of Galatia, that they were once children under the bondage of the earth, but now they're adults. Now they see the truth. It has been revealed to them. They are... Uh, partaking of the meat of the word. They're, they're uh, seasoned believers. Um, and so they now are, should not be under the control of the world any longer. They should not be under the control of the elements of the world and the things that come in. Yet Paul finds that they are under that control, that they have been putting themselves back under the bondage of the world. And it's not the place where they should be, and it disappointed Paul to see them there, to see this church that he begun and had hopes for that it would flourish and continue to grow, to see them now in the bondage that they're in. I'm sure it, it hurt Paul's heart. He, he, uh, he definitely was saddened by it. And so let's go on to chapter 5, and we'll spend most of the night here uh, completing out this chapter in verse 1, Paul says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again 
in the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. So here in verse 5, it's revealed what has crept into the church in this, in this instance, which is circumcision of the men. Now, we all know that circumcision does not bring about salvation. It's just an act that was commanded to Moses to perform uh, on, the, on the male uh, within, I believe, the first 10 days or 7 days um, to have that child circumcised. Um, so it was, it was commanded by the, by the Israelites from very early on, and so it was part of the law. And here Paul is saying um, uh, for the believers to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. So what they were doing is going back to the old law. These were believers that have been set free. Remember, Jesus Christ did not come to abolish the law, but to complete the law. He came to fulfill it once and for all so that we were no longer under the law that was given, uh, but we were free from it. We were free to, to serve God. We were free to remove ourselves out of sin of this world and, and, and serve the Lord the way that he desires for us to serve him. And here Paul is saying that we have... Uh, been given a liberty, yet the church of Galatia has been entangled back into that law, that bondage that was set before the Israelites from very early on, and it's not where they should be. He says, indeed, uh, or uh, Paul, indeed, I, Paul, say in verse 2 to you that you become circumcised, that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. So what Paul's saying here is that if you're going to put yourself under the law, you must fulfill the whole law. That, that by putting yourself under the law, you're rejecting Christ. You're no longer accepting the work on the cross that he has done, the crucifixion. You're saying, that was not enough. And, and I need to also be circumcised. I need to also... Um, uh, go to church on Sundays. I need to also uh, say certain prayers, and that's not the case. Christ died to set us free from that yoke uh, and to, to allow us to serve him wholeheartedly without having to worry about the law. Let's read on there in uh, verse uh, 3. I'm sorry, verse 4. Uh, you have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. What a horrible place to be, fallen from grace. Uh, what is grace? God's unmerited favor, right? God having looking at us and seeing who we are, seeing what we are, seeing the, the sin that is in our lives, but yet blessing us anyway. That's God's grace. Uh, no matter how, how far we tread away from the Lord, He is always one step back. There's no, there's no things that we need to do in order to get back to Christ but to say, Lord, forgive me and mean it from the heart. And that is grace. Um, uh, that is grace at its finest right there. And, and that's not even counting the blessings that we get, you know, just living in this 
amazing free country that we live in, having the provisions that we have every day, all of that is grace because there are so many that don't have what we have here as Americans. And uh, the grace of God upon this nation, upon us, is just, um, just amazing. And so Paul here is saying that, we have, that the Galatians have removed themselves from grace. We need to be careful that we don't do that. Uh, we have been given grace uh, through Christ's crucifixion. Uh, and when we, when we put ourselves back under the law or we become legalistic in that, uh, we no longer obtain that grace of Christ because the grace is salvation, right? That's the ultimate grace there, that God looked down upon a sinful world and said, I'm going to send my son to die on the cross for you. That is, un- nothing that we have done deserves that, is deserving of that. It's all by grace. And Paul's saying that we have removed ourselves or we remove ourselves from grace when we get back under the law. Let's continue on in verse 5. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith by by working through love. So we see here Paul Continuing on and saying that the Spirit eagerly waits for the hope of righteousness by faith. Does your Spirit eagerly wait? That's a good question. Do we eagerly wait? Wait for what? For righteousness. For that time that we uh, are ascended into heaven, whether, whether by our life is expired here on earth and the Lord is done with our works here on earth and we, we pass to the next, uh, the next uh, heaven or... The Lord comes back and raises the dead and pulls us up with them into heaven through the rapture. Uh, that is the, right, the hope of righteousness right there. Our hearts should hope for that on a daily basis. On an hourly basis, we should be hoping for that. You know, there's, there's no more time that I hope for that when things are going bad in my life, right? It's like, oh, Lord, take me home now. You know, this just happened at work or this just bill just showed up. How am I going to pay it? Lord, take me home. There's no more time that we ask for God's righteousness than those times. But the Lord says, the time is not yet. You, you have more to do here on this earth. So, um, but getting back to our story, uh, Paul talks about being removed uh, uh, from that righteousness, or we, that we eagerly wait for the hope of that righteousness through faith. Uh, he goes on to say, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. So whether, you're, whether you follow the law or whether you don't follow the Old Testament law, it means nothing because we're under the new commandment. We're under the commandment of the crucifixion, the death and the resurrection of Christ. Uh, we are under uh, the new relationship that we have with God himself. And so those things of the law no longer matter uh, whether we are or aren't. Um, let's move on in verse 7. He says, You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. So Paul realizes here that they didn't go astray on their own. If you are in God's word, if you are seeking him daily, if you are coming to church on a regular basis and receiving from the Lord from good, solid teachers, 
then it's almost impossible to go astray. It's almost impossible to, to veer off if you're doing those things. It's when you don't do those things. It's when you don't come to church. Now, remember, we're not under the law. We're not required to do these things. We do them because we love to do them, because we want to be right with God. We want to have that salvation in our life being perfected, not staying the same, staying stagnant. And how can you continue to grow and continue to move on if you're not in church, if you're not reading God's word, if you're not studying and going to the men's fellowships and the women's fellowships? How can you mature? You can't. And so Paul knows here that the Galatians did not veer off on their own. There, there was something that caused them to veer off. And Paul knows that that something was false teaching. That something was a false teacher that had crept into the church. And he says here, you ran well. You did good. You were, you were in the race for so long. But you've been hindered now. And who is it that hinders you, he says. He says, this persuasion does not come from him who calls you. The persuasion of of veering off doesn't come from God. It comes from man, Paul says. He says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. We all know the story of leaven, right? Used to cook, and you throw a little bit of leaven in your bread. Just a little pinch goes a long way, and you mix it in. And that leaven works, works itself through to every piece Every particle of that bread, it just embeds itself in there to where it's almost impossible to remove once it's mixed in. And what Paul's saying here is just a little bit of sin creeping into the church just envelops into it and spoils the whole church in that. And Paul's dealing with that right now with the church of Galatia, trying to um, remove that sin that has been crept into the church here. Uh, and admonishing them to get right. Uh, Verse 10, he says, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach uh, circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I love here how Paul says, I have confidence in you. Wait wait a second. These are are the the people that have turned and have steered away and have gone down the path. How can Paul have confidence in them? But we see that in the next verse or the next section of that verse. He says, I have confidence in you in the Lord. That is where our confidence should be in one another. We should have confidence in one another. We should trust Pastor when he's up here and have confidence that he's teaching us the right things in the Lord, as long as he's in the Lord. As long as you are in the Lord, we should have confidence in one another. Now, we see a brother or a sister that's not in the Lord and they're struggling, and it's hard to have confidence in them because we see the struggle that they have. We see the things that they fight and, and, and the, the weird ideas that they have. And it's hard to have confidence in that because they are not in the Lord. But we ourselves can have that confidence in one another if we're in the Lord. And I love how Paul says that to them. Uh, they can still come back from this uh, through the Lord. He goes on and says that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment. 
whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. So Paul's saying here that if he was teaching circumcision like this other person is, like this, this false teacher is, if he was doing that, then the offense of the cross would have zero meaning, right? Because you wouldn't need the cross. If these other things got you closer to God, if they brought you to heaven, then the cross, the offense of the cross would be no more. There would be no need for it. Jesus came and died in vain is what Paul's saying. And of course, that's not what he's saying, but that's what he's implying by this teacher. This teacher basically removed the offense of the cross when he is, when he instilled in the church of Galatia that they needed these other things in order to be saved. Verse 12 says, I wish, or I could wish, that those who troubled you could even cut themselves off. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Wow, Paul here is is really serious with this guy who who steered Christ's children away, who, who brought in this false teaching. He says, I wish that he himself would be cut off. Um, that can also be translated as to mutilated, as to um, removed here. And so Paul is very serious about that in those that bring sin and false teaching into the church. Uh, very serious. Um, he goes on to say, For you, brethren, you have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed or you consume one another. We have been called to liberty. Right? We've been called to freedom in Christ. God has called each and every one of us to, to have that liberty of just serving Him the way He desires us to serve Him. Not, there should always be order, right? There should always be order in, in the church. It should never be chaos and crazy. Um, but it shouldn't be so strict as to we can't raise our hands to the Lord if we feel that's the way God should worship. We should worship God. It should never um, cause us to not worship God. The, the rules and regulations that are set forth by man should never cause us to not worship God in the way that he has called us to worship him. Um, but again, we should not be crazy in our worship. We should be respectful uh, and, and doing it in a manner that would not cause um, concern to others. Uh, especially the non-believer. If we're acting crazy in our worship to God uh, and we're using that, lib- that liberty um, weirdly, then that turns the world off. It turns the believers off. It turns future Christians off. They don't want to have anything to do with Christ if that's the case. Now, many in the church abuse liberty in Christ. Um, it was just brought up in our leadership ministry talking about the use of alcohol. 
And that's always one issue that is always fought about in the church, and I don't understand why um, it is just because it's so destructive. And why would we want to support or um, partake in something as destructive as that? I just don't get it for the believer. Yet some believers use their liberty in Christ. Oh, I've got liberty in Christ. I can drink. I can partake in that because I'm still a Christian. God's going to forgive me for it. But that shouldn't be so. Here Paul says right here that if, if he's condemning the Galatians for something as small as circumcision, yet as something as large and as destructive as alcohol, we have liberty in that? I, I don't get it. It, doesn't, it just doesn't register with me. And, and if it does with you and you get it, and you're okay with that, maybe you know, ask the Lord again. Uh, come and talk to some of the elders and pastors here at the church. Um, but we should not be allowing the liberty we have in Christ as the opportunity to fulfill the flesh. And Paul very clearly says it here in Galatians uh, chapter 5, verse 13. He goes on to say, But through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know, this was great in our men's study on Monday night. We were talking about these two, these two commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The two greatest commandments. And if you fulfill just those two, you fulfilled all the law. It says, all the commandments there. Why is that? Because if you love someone, you're not going to steal from them. If you love someone, you're not going to murder them. If you love someone, you're not going to covet their wife, their manservant, their male servant, their oaks, their, their oxen. Did I say oaks? Their oxen. You're not going to covet that, right? You're going to respect them because you love your brother, and so here Paul is saying the very same thing. He's saying you'll fulfill all of the law. You'll fulfill it just in this one thing. If you love your neighbor as yourself. He goes on with a warning. But if you bite, if you devour one another, beware. Lest you be consumed by one another. Right? He's not talking about zombies here. Paul's not talking about you know, zombie biting. Well, Maybe so, right? Consuming one another, right? When, when we fire those arrows at the believers in the church, when we bite and we fight and we bicker, we're devouring one another. And soon there's chaos in the church. And Paul's saying, don't let that happen in your church. Love one another. Because if you bite and devour one another, you will be consumed and there will be no more. Consumed, right? Eaten up, eaten up. It's gone, you know, kind of like me and ice cream, just, it's, it's all gone. That's what Paul's saying. If you bite and devour one another, there's not going to be a church anymore. It's going to be gone because there's no, no reason to gather together. You're fighting and you're arguing. We need to find peace with one another through love. And Paul's warning them here. He goes on in uh, verse 16. 
I say, then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Sounds simple, huh? Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We'll get back to that in a minute. Let's go on to verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish to do. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, again, written by Paul, so it's going to finger in perfectly with his letter to the Galatians. Verse 13 says, He has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we do not know, I'm sorry, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now, if no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for the will is present within me. But how to perform what is good I do not find." For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. 21. I find that the, a law... I find then a law that evil is present within me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members." O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That was confusing, right? Follow that? You had to read that three or four times to really get into it. Basically, what Paul's saying is, man, I mess up all the time. I don't want to, but I do. And I don't know why I mess up. But he's saying that, but there's something inside me that doesn't like me messing up. And it wars against that side of me that wants to mess up. And I find myself warring back and forth, back and forth. So Paul is saying, 
all of that coming back to verse 16 in Galatians, he says, I say to you, then walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Right. If, if we are walking in the spirit, if we're not allowing that evil side inside of us to 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 direct us in our walk, then we're going to be right on with the Lord. We're not going to be fulfilling the lust of the flesh. But here Paul says that side that wars against the good side, he says, if we walk in the flesh, then we're going to be fulfilling the lust of the flesh. We all know that battle. We all have that battle. We all battle that. I know I do on a daily basis, battling that battle. But we should not let our failures in that. Those things that we do that we don't desire to do, we should not let those hold us back. We should not let the condemnation of those things. I, I can't go to church. I'm, I'm just so bad right now. I, I, I sinned. I walked away from God. I've, I've, been, I've been out on my own away from God for too long. He'll never accept me back. That's condemnation from the enemy. That's not from the Lord. That's not from God himself. We should never allow the sin in our lives to hold us back from God. That's not what he wants. We see here Paul saying he struggles with the very things that the people in Galatia struggle with, that we struggle with in our lives today. Paul struggled with those very same things in his life, and yet he continued on. Yet the Lord used him mightily to write two-thirds of the New Testament. Powerful. Coming from a man who, what did he say there at the end? Let me go back and read that again. He said, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He knew that he was a wretched man. He knew that, that in him was death. And yet he knew that Christ was the one that would deliver him from that body of death. And now he exhorts the people in Galatia to realize that, that Christ is the one that will deliver them from this sin, from the lust of the flesh, and from that war that they have within them. Verse 18, back in Galatians chapter 5, verse 18 says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Interesting. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which is adultery, fornication, Uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath. Anybody suffer from outbursts of wrath? I wouldn't ask about those other ones, but I suffer from that sometimes. Outbursts of wrath. Those are the works of the flesh. And we need to, 
as Paul, war with that within us. Outburst, I've got that one like underlined twice in my Bible. This, that one's for me. Selfish and ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revilers, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We, get it. we have to make sure that we are not practicing these works of the flesh. And there's more, right? I mean, Paul didn't, that's, that's not all of them, right? If we accomplish those, we're good? No. There's more in there. There's more in our hearts, more evil in our hearts. I mean, I didn't see gossiping in there. Did you see gossiping? I didn't see uh, a wandering eye. I didn't see a wandering eye in there. I didn't see bad language. So it's not, just because they're not in here doesn't mean they're not works of the flesh and that they will not send you where you don't want to go. Turn to Romans, back Romans again, chapter 1, verse 32. We're going to go to Romans three times tonight. Chapter 1. Actually, let's read from 28. Romans chapter 128. Everyone there? So Paul goes on to, in his letter to the Romans, he says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things that were not fitting, being, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, Maliceness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceitful, evil-mindedness. They were whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Where's the kids? Oh, they're in with Gabe. I thought he was going to stay out here. I wanted to... I wanted to hit him on that one. Disobedient to parents. Uh, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So there's a few more works of the flesh that weren't that Paul didn't give to the uh, Galatians there. And I want to point one thing out that Paul says additionally here that he didn't say in Galatians and that is that um, that those who do those things are deserving of death, not only do the same but also, approve of those who practice them. So what he's saying there is that not only those that perform those evil things, the works of the flesh, but those that also approve of those practicing those evil things are also worthy of death. 
of separation from Christ. So those that support, you name it, whatever was in there, the works of the flesh. Those that support them, those that say, ah, you know what, it's, it's not that bad, it'll be all right. I think I read drunkenness, and no, maybe I didn't. That's another, another one of Paul's epistles. It's very important that we're not supporting the world. You know, we're, we're not here to support the world. We're not here to, to win, win trophies in the world. We're not here to win favor in the world. We're here to be salt and light to the world. We're here to bring Christ to them with love, but in truth. And if we support them because we want to win favor with them, that's wrong. That's, that's, we are then deserving of the same punishment that they are going to encounter. You know, there was, um, on Facebook, there was a debate that I was involved in with about um, homosexuality and the, the gay lifestyle. And, and I was very polite in, in what I was saying and wasn't mean or anything like that. At least I didn't feel that way. But boy, did others feel that I was. I was just sharing truth there. Um, but there was one girl who really came off at me hard at first. But in the end, I, I, I told her that, look, I don't, I'm not condemning you. I'm not, I'm not trying to you know, make you angry. I'm just trying to share the truth that God has for you. And I quoted a couple scriptures and put them in there. And, and at the end, you know, she basically said, well, thank you. I've never met a Christian that, you know, didn't condemn me. She had always felt like Christians were always condemning her for her lifestyle. And, and I basically said to her that, you know, this is just what the Bible says. I can tell you this in love. I don't hate you. Um, I just think that what you're doing is the wrong thing, that you shouldn't be doing that and going down that path because there's a punishment for it. And this is what I believe. And so we should, we should stand against those works of the flesh and, t- and tell the truth to the world. Because if we don't, if we support the world in what they're doing and, and the works of the flesh, what reason is for their, that they would change? There is no reason. Right? We haven't given them a reason to change, to stop performing the works of the flesh. So we need to remember that we can't be part of supporting the works of the flesh. This is one, one main, this is the main reason why I will never, and I will say never, ever, and I never say never, because there's like, I gotta, I gotta do that for the rest of my life. I say never. But I will never attend a gay wedding, ever. And I can say that with confidence because I cannot support them. And you go to a wedding to do what? Support the bride and groom. To, to support them and to say, I am a witness to this marriage. That's what you do. Yet as believers, how can we do that to a gay marriage? In a lifestyle that Christ, that, that Paul, that the Bible says is not right. How can we do that? We can as believers. And that's why I will never be in that situation. There are a few others, but we don't have to go over them now. Let's continue on. 
So we went over the works of the flesh. Now let's go over the fruits of the Spirit. In verse 22, it talks about the fruits of the Spirit. Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Going back up to 14, where it talks about loving your, your brother, loving your neighbor, right? He says, for all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So there is, there is law, a law, our laws for keeping us straight and in line, right? We, go, we do something wrong, we do something bad. It's like, hey, whoa, you're breaking the law. Get back in line. Same with the word of God. When we practice evilness, murders, drunkenness. I did read drunkenness right there. Revilers, uh, sorcery, hatred, idolatry. When we read those things, those all go against the law. There's laws, God's laws says, don't follow those things. Don't do those things. Yet for the fruits of the Spirit, for righteousness, for doing good, there is no law. There doesn't need to be a law because there's nothing broken in doing those things. Right? We, 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 there's no law that says we... Okay, how many times did you uh, tell your brother you loved him today? You know, the, you got to do it four times because that's the law. No, you can do it four times, you can do it two times, you can do it a hundred times, and you're not breaking the law. Paul says, for, those, for these things there is no law. There's no going wrong when you do them, right? Do them as much and as often as you can. 24, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Turn with me, if you would, back to Romans chapter 6. And we'll close with this. Romans chapter 6. Verse 12. Paul, in writing to the Romans again, says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, 
For you are not under the law, but under grace. What was Paul's first admonishment to the Galatians? You've removed yourselves from the grace of God. We need to make sure that we ourselves are not doing it. That's our takeaway tonight. If you've taken anything away tonight, let it be that. Live in God's grace. Those things that you struggle with, the, the, the works of the flesh that we all struggle with, right? We can all be honest and say we all struggle with some sort of flesh, one or another, some two or three. Troy's not here, but I know. Just kidding, Troy. Uh, we need to make sure that we are getting our members in order. Our minds need to be in the works of the Spirit and not in the works of the flesh. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we, Lord, just thank you for tonight, Father, that... uh, that you've blessed us uh, so abundantly, Father. Lord, uh, I thank you for this church, Father, that, uh, Lord, it is a church that seeks after truth and righteousness and the hope of righteousness, Father. Lord, that the leaders in this church are so careful to follow the scriptures, Lord, and checking and double-checking to make sure that we're not going astray, Father, guarding guarding the people, Lord, that are here from those that would come in to seek to destroy and seek to bring another gospel, Lord. I thank you for the protection that you have given us under this church, Father. I pray that you would continue to bless this church, Lord, and the truth that comes from this pulpit, Father. Let it pierce our hearts, Lord, uh, dividing righteousness from within us, Lord, from the evilness that's within us, Lord. Lord, that we would, Father, be able to sever the ties that we have with the flesh, Lord. That the battle that is fought within us, Lord, the things that we desire to do, but find ourselves not doing, Lord. That you would break that chain, Father. Lord, I know there are some here, Father, that are praying that right now, Father, that are in torment, Lord God, because they desire not to do the things that they are doing, Lord. They desire to do the things that you desire them to do, Father. They're tired, Lord. They're suffering, Father. I pray right now, Lord, that you would break those chains, Father. That today would be the new day, Lord. That they would live in the Spirit, Father God. And that they would release, that you would release the grass that the flesh has upon them, Lord. Set us free from those things, Father, that tie us down, Lord, that bonded, put us in bondage, Lord. That we would be free in the liberty to serve you, Lord God. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.